Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Spotlight 11. My name's Dave and I'll be your host. Today we're going to shine our light on Emily Cleaver. This is a story that she wrote especially for Stand Up Tragedy and it's performed by Richard Cowell. You can find more of Emily Cleaver's writing at emilycleaver.net and she's also going to be performing at our next Stand Up Tragedy live show. The first show of our 2013 mini tour of London is going to be at the Hackney Attic on the 18th of January. We've got Richard Coworld reading a story by Emily Cleaver, but we've also got The Sound of the Ladies, comedy from Ben Target, Kit Lovelace reading from his book about when he put his love life in the hands of the reading public. He wrote a column for the Guardian newspaper where the Guardian readers decided what he did next. We've got Joe Murphy from Sergeant Buzzfuzz. He's going to be doing a couple of songs about the Popes, the history of the Popes, uh, and another original. And we've got true storytelling from Andy Bodle. And there'll be more acts than that. I'm still in the process of booking. So there's going to be some great tragedy happening at the Hackney Attic on the 18th of January. Please come along. It's only £5 entrance. There's a bar up there. It's going to be a great night. If anybody listening to this is interested in joining the Stand Up Tragedy team, the group of us who are putting on the nights in London and taking the show up to the Edinburgh Festival in August next year, if you want to be a part of that in any capacity, drop me a line at upstandingtragedy at gmail.com. Now that the live show is coming back, We're going to be going into a weekly format from January. We're going to have new tragedy coming out on the podcast stream. If you are someone who's found the sound quality of these podcasts frustrating, I hear you, I understand where you're coming from. We're looking to record the next nights in much higher quality. Look forward to an improvement in production in the coming months. Now there's a team of us, we're going to get onto this and we're going to get the tragedy sounding right. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoy the show. Now for a short story by Emily Cleaver, read for you tonight by Richard Coward. Uh, you can find more of Emily's writings at emilycleaver.net. So welcome Richard to the stage. An Incident on Charing Cross Road by Emily Cleaver. Just a few yards from where we are now, 77 years ago, a man was killed by a flock of doves. This is how it happened. Outside the stage door of the Alhambra Theatre of Varieties, Charing Cross Road, Neris Carter is leaning against a wall in the sun reading the paper. She feels insubstantial today, so she's smoking a cheroot. She feels insubstantial a lot of the time. To weigh herself down, she smokes, drinks champagne and sleeps with serious men she meets at the bar of the Wheat Chief. None of it works. The bubbles and smoke and kisses fizz around inside her and she feels like she's floating off. She works at the Alhambra as a magician's assistant and today she's supervising the delivery of a shipment of 100 white doves. A cart has pulled up and the driver and his mate are unloading a long wooden coop. 
The doves are for a new trick. They'll burst from a hidden hatch in the corner of the stage at the finale of the performance. The magician, Ackroyd D. Charles, hired Neris because she's short enough to fit into the sarcophagus of swords. He never remembers her name. Even the time she slept with him, as he climaxed on top of her, he shouted, Glenda! He explained that it was his wife's name and she nodded understandingly. (laughs) She's still waiting for him to sleep with her again. Neris is always waiting. Waiting for something to come along. Waiting for her moment. It might be the instant she spotted on the street and whisked away to Hollywood. But it might be some graver, more vital task she'll be called to perform. The paper Neris is reading is the Illustrated London News. It's full of noble acts and daring rescues. She might save a a drowning child from a river or prevent a suicide. Or she might be recruited as a lady spy and sent undercover amongst the high society of Europe. Whatever it turns out to be, Neris is ready. All of this... She glances around at the grimy street, the tattered posters on the theatre door. All of this is temporary. Lunchtimes, she hangs around the luggage department of Selfridges, eyeing up suitcases. She's saving up to buy a good one. She tests the snappy gold clasps and strokes the soft leather like the flank of a pony. Sometimes she leans forward and takes a good deep sniff. The smell of the leather helps her to feel more solid. The driver of the cart is shuffling backwards, holding one end of the dove coop while his mate lowers the other end from the cart. The driver suddenly catches the edge of the pavement with his heel and trips backwards, dropping the coop. There's a splintering crack, the latch bursts and the doors fly open. A hundred terrified white doves erupt out of it. Their wings are clipped so they can't fly more than a few feet off the ground, but they try their hardest and Neris takes a step forward, as if she might stop them, but then watches as a flurry of doves manage a short flight into the road. The birds smash into the windscreen of an omnibus whose driver, startled by the shattered glass and sudden blood, swerves. He shouts, watch it, as the omnibus mounts the pavement and hits a man. The man is thrown high into the air and bounces off of the bonnet of a taxi cab. The impact sends one of his heavy work boots and a sock tumbling across the road. He lands with an arm twisted under him. Neris feels a a tingle of nerves. She runs out between the stationary traffic, stepping from the wings onto her stage. She kneels next to the man who's slumped against the bumper of the taxi, staring at the bare toes of his exposed foot. Neris clears her throat. Can you move them? They both look at his toes. Don't let him take me to the morgue, the man says. Some of the fizz escapes Neris in a silly little laugh. She puts her hand over her mouth. I know what goes on in the morgue. Your toes go blue. The toenails on his bare foot are cut neatly. The skin looks soft. Uh, I use my wife's cold cream. You can tell. Neris feels herself becoming insubstantial again and decides to hold the man's hand. He squeezes her fingers confidentially. I I didn't really lose that ten shillings. She looks around on the ground. We can find it, I'm sure. I was going to buy her a dress, but she threw a plate at me, so I spent it. Who threw a plate at you? Says Neris. He looks irritated. 
My wife, of course. This is it, her grave commission. Neris grips his hand harder to stop her own from trembling. She pictures his wife sobbing as she receives the message. She will thank Neris through the tears. They will become friends. She sees the headline in the paper, Heroine bystander entrusted with dying man's last words. What should I tell your wife? He looks horrified. Christ, don't tell her. What does she expect when she wears her petticoats to bed? A man's got needs. He contorts as if another omnibus has run him over. My books. Lie lie back now. Neris pushes down on his shoulders, but he's as stiff as a board. He stares, confused. They must be packed into the case in a very particular order. I, I can take her a message. You won't be able to do it, Mary. You know you won't. He strikes violently his forehead with a hand. He's suddenly suspicious of Neris. You've always thought, I was wasting my time, haven't you? I'm not your wife. The man looks straight at her for the first time, and Neris knows that he can see through her. To the smoke and bubbles, to her on her back, legs spread while Ackroyd T. Charles rocks back and forth on top, shouting some other woman's name. I've grown to hate you. You've always held me back. The man looks back to his bare toes as they're recalling him to where he is. Tell her that. (laughs) He stares over at Neris's shoulder. A dove lets out a flurry of joyful, throbbing notes. He's a goner, says the driver of the delivery cart, leaning over Neris's shoulder. The wail of an ambulance siren approaches. A policeman, called from his beat, hurries up breathless. He he, he said he didn't want to go to the morgue, Neris says. The policeman laughs, short and bitter. I bet he didn't, poor sod. The ambulance men lift the body onto the stretcher and cover it with a sheet. As they push the stretcher into the back of the ambulance, the sheet slips and a bare foot waves at the small crowd that's gathered. The ambulance drives away towards the morgue. The policeman sluices the blood off the street with a bucket of water. Neris stands up, feeling the weight of the message like a suitcase in her hand that she can't put down.